Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. In this week's podcast, you'll hear stories about a young man and his nefarious band of misfits smuggling weed across the Canadian border. Then join a queer couple on a road trip in the South, rent a car in Ireland without the proper insurance, and finally fall in love with a dubious ranch hand in Dillon, Montana. Our podcast today was recorded in front of a live audience on May 9th, 2019 at the Myrnaloy in Helena, Montana. Eight storytellers shared their true personal story on the theme, getting away with it. Today, we hear from four of those storytellers. Our first story comes to us from Aaron Parrott, who, along with his band of misfits, buy weed from the deputy sheriff in Anchorage, Alaska, then have to figure out how to get it across the Canadian border. Aaron calls his story, Dux Feminia Facti. I feel like I need to preface this story by saying that it happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, uh, starting in Missoula. So this was, I was, I don't know, 18, 19 years old, uh, living in Missoula, registered for school, uh, but mostly playing in a kind of hillbilly bluegrass band called Cold Beans and Bacon. And we were brought together by a communal love of Johnny Cash and homegrown marijuana. (laughs) Um, And that summer, we all went up to Alaska to work in canneries, but mostly to play in the bars up there. And that was a really great time for several months, living on the beach on the Homer Spit, living in a tent. Uh, But, you know, eventually the summer kind of dwindled and the days were getting much shorter and we had to figure out how to get back to Montana. Uh, There were four of us up there. Uh, One of the guys in the band, Dan, had met a woman on the beach um, and fallen in love and she was coming back to Montana with us. Her name was Barb. And if this story has a moral, it's the same sort of moral that's in in the Aeneid. There's a great line in the Aeneid Dux femina facti, which means a woman was the leader of the enterprise. And it's a good thing because the four of us lack the wherewithal to get across Anchorage, let alone back to Montana. Um, But the first thing we had to do was get a vehicle. So Dan buys this short bed Chevy pickup truck and, you know, we're going to load all our stuff into it. There's four guys, this woman, Barb, all our stuff, four guitars, a banjo, beer cooler, all our packs, because we hitchhiked up there, uh, and a German Shepherd. <laughs> and we had to get all this into the, to the car, and then, you know, it's a 13, 14 day drive to Montana through Canada. And we knew that going through Canada, you know, that's nine or 10 days, we were gonna need a big bag of weed to get through Canada. Um, and also, we knew that uh, it was illegal to transported across the border, so we had kind of a double problem. Um, At the time, marijuana was was legal in Alaska. It's hard to believe this is really a thing, but it was legal there and nowhere else, so we went to Anchorage and asked around on the street, ended up in a bar, somebody gave us a name and an address, and we ended up actually buying an ounce of pot from a deputy sheriff. (laughs) in Anchorage, which was great. Um, and we drove for a couple of days and we get close to the border of Canada and then, you know, we have this, this 
strategic problem of how to get this bag of weed about the size of a small hot dog across the uh, the border. And, you know, if it had been up to the four guys in the band, we would have gotten pinched immediately. You know, we were thinking of, like, duct taping it up under the bumper. <laughs> <laughs> You know, hiding it in the engine block or, you know. And this, this woman, Barb, who was with us, she, I mean, she had a college degree. She had a credit card, um, which it turns out you need to get across Canada. Um, and she just listened to us sit around the fire the night before we're going to cross the border talking about these genius ideas we had for hiding this dope. And she just shook her head and said, I'll tell you what you do. We'll put a little rock in the bag and we'll wrap it up real tight, you know, make sure it's waterproof. And then in the morning, we'll cook up a pot of coffee and make a thermos full of coffee and just drop it in the thermos because nobody is going to pour out a thermos full of hot coffee. Dux femina facti. And she, uh, so we do this. The next morning, we get up, we make coffee. We put it in the thermos and we wrap it up just like she described and drop it in there and shake it and look in there and it's a great idea. And so we drive up to the border and, you know, we all have long hair and, I mean, we look like we're carrying dope. <laughs> and so, of course, they, they tell us to pull over and they say, we're going to have to search your vehicle. And the first thing this border patrol agent woman does is she goes into the cab of the truck and starts looking around and she sees the thermos and she unscrews it and looks in it and shakes it, screws the lid back on. And I knew at that moment we were going to get away with it. Um, but unfortunately they found a bunch of seeds in the ashtray <laughs> and, a, and a pipe that wasn't even ours. It was in the truck when we bought it under the seat and so when they found that they suddenly they knew they they had something and i remember they get us all into the office there and dan who was you know the putative owner of the truck the, i remember this this canadian border agent saying where's the dope dan we're gonna find it <laughs> <laughs> and dan just shrugged and he's you know go ahead knock yourself out um, and they did for four hours. We sat in this office while they laid all of our stuff, you know, all these packs and our instruments and cut open aspirin bottles, ripped our tents apart for four hours and they couldn't find anything but these four or five seeds in this metal pipe, which we had to sign over to the queen. <laughs> and then they let us go. Um, and so we leave the, we leave the border station and drive maybe 100 yards, not even 100 yards, 50 yards, and in the middle of nowhere there's a soda machine. So we've successfully transported this pot across the border, but we don't have any paraphernalia. They took the pipe we didn't even know we had. And so we pull over at the soda machine and immediately buy a can of Coke and pour it out and then fold the can as one does and get out a pocket knife and poke the little holes in the middle, scrape the paint off. Yeah. 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 You get all that free paint chips and uh, aluminum shavings for free. 
Um, and within, you know, sightline of the border patrol smoked our, our first bowl of <laughs> illegally smuggled marijuana. And the great part about this whole experience was we, you know, had timed it, timed it, planned it perfectly so that, you know, we ran out of pot by the time we got to the U.S. border, uh, where it would not have been nearly so forgiving. It was zero tolerance then, and they would just seize everything, all your, your stuff. So we were grateful to the Canadians for cleaning us out of all that paraphernalia, so that when we pulled up to the border, we smoked the last of it, probably within eyesight of the American border patrol agent, uh, little cubicle, and we pull up and we were fully prepared for the same thing. There was actually a shift change going on, and when the shift that was coming on walked up to the guys leaving, they just said, give them hell. <laughs> So we played uh, cards for two or three hours while they went through all our stuff. And, <laughs> and that is the story of how I smuggled pot across the border and got away with it. Thanks, Aaron. Aaron Parrott is a professor of English at the University of Providence. His most recent book is Maple and Lead, a collection of short stories with woodcuts by Seth Roby. He also runs the Territorial Press in Helena, Montana, devoted to fine letterpress editions of handcrafted Montana literature. Learn more about Aaron at AaronParrot.org. Our next story comes to us from Maddie Weisberg, who is on a road trip with her good friend to attend a mutual friend's wedding. They barely avoid death as a stray airborne tire smashes into their car. Maddie calls her story, the one where they almost died. A few years ago, I went on a road trip with my friend, Patty. Patty and I had worked at summer camp together, and she was kind of a legend there. She's been there since 1975, and still there today. And we were headed from Asheville, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida. A few hours into our drive, it was time to stop for some food, and we were in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina. The exit was this vast expanse of nothing and a Wendy's. So we're two queers in the South in a small town and we knew to enter cautiously. I was 24 at the time and a vegetarian and me. <laughs> and Patty was probably around 60. She wears a standard shaggy blonde haircut and a big tie-dye t-shirt hanging off of her lanky frame. She's turned in her joint for an e-cigarette, but Patty is still just an old hippie. And we knew that this small town, South Carolina, had never seen our kind before. <laughs> so I returned to the table and unwrap my veggie burger to find that they have served me a sesame seed bun, a slathering of mayo, two pieces of tomato, and a slice of lettuce. <laughs> Patty, are they fucking with us right now? <laughs> or is this actually what they serve as a veggie burger? <laughs> so I decided to give them the benefit of the doubt, and as unobtrusively as I could muster, which is not very unobtrusively, 
I walked back up to the cashier and I said, hey, so I ordered this veggie burger. I really appreciate that you guys can accommodate me, but I'm just curious. There's no patty of any sort on it. Is there, do you guys have like maybe something made of beans or soy or rice or, or something that goes on this or is this, is this what you serve? And the 15-year-old on the other side of the counter looked at me with a, a look of confusion and quickly two more Wendy's restaurant employees swarmed to investigate the issue. <laughs> um, I was speaking a foreign language and I could soon feel the angry looks and whispers of fellow customers and decided that I was just going to leave. So I said, thank you so much. You know what? Never mind. Just thought I'd ask. We're all set. And Patty and I quickly gathered our things and left. So back in the security of my car, we could enjoy our time together a little bit. We were driving my 2001 Honda Accord, and while its negligible horsepower and automatic engine were nothing to brag about, it always got me where I was going. So we're driving along and we're sharing camp stories and Patty's talking about the good old days. I did at one point get her to sing me this song that she wrote about me. So if anybody's familiar with the rap artist Nelly, he has this, yeah, thank you. He has this song called Grills. And in Grills, they say, smile for me, daddy. But Patty rewrote it, very clever, to smile for me, Maddie. That's me. <laughs> so... We had a really fun time with that. I ate it up. We enjoyed our drive. <laughs> Thank you. And then, just as we're passing the first exits for Jacksonville, which I'll remind you is our destination, something catches my eye. Flying about 20 feet above the minivan in front of us is this unnaturally large, dark object, something that's not supposed to be there. And that's when everything slowed down. Next to me, Patty shouts, that's going to hit us, right as I, too, am noticing that there is a tire flying right through the front windshield of our car. We're not in South Carolina anymore. We're in Jacksonville, Florida. That's the largest, geographically the largest city in the United States. We're on a major interstate in the middle of five lanes of traffic at rush hour going 75 miles an hour. There's no way we were escaping this tire. But I remember looking to my right and seeing that we had a little bit of room. So right as this tire is coming crashing into our car, I swerve, brake, and the tire hits the front of my car, the hood of my car, with this terrible crack, and then it goes away. There were no sirens, no blaring car horns, no explosions. We just kept going, and we drove in silence, trying to figure out if that really just happened. The wrinkles that I noticed on the hood of my car brought me back to reality, and I started pulling over my car to see if everything was okay. But then I realized that my car wasn't slowing down, and my stomach sunk. Patty, they're not working. What? What's not working? The brakes! The brakes aren't working! <laughs> so we're in emergency response mode now, 
And uh, Patty says, are your flashers on? And I'm looking wildly for my flashers. I have no idea where they are. I say, yes, no, yes, I don't know. <laughs> so Patty turns on the flashers. <laughs> I engage the emergency brake. I'm pumping the foot brake. I've pulled over to the shoulder, and I'm driving on the rumble strips, just searching for anything that might slow us down just a little bit. Patty comes in with this wisdom. She says, okay, what you need to do is you need to put the car in neutral and pull out the key. And then I go back to my high school physics class, and I'm like, Patty, I can't do that because if the car comes to a stop, our bodies will continue at 70 miles, 70 miles an hour, and we'll go crashing through the front windshield. <laughs> so, fun tip, that's not how it works, but Patty knew... <laughs> Patty knew better than to try to school me in how cars work at that time, and so she suggested that instead I downshift and we could slow that way, and that I was willing to try. So I carefully moved from drive into a lower gear, and we just jerk forward. It's terrifying. The transmission is screaming at us. I'm waiting for it to fall out of the bottom of my car, and I very quickly turn it back to, to drive. Uh, it was terrifying, but it worked. And so for the next minute, I don't know how long, we continue to move into a, a lower gear and then back into drive. And we're just jerking back and forth along this highway. Um, and yeah, eventually the car slowed down quite a good bit. In fact, it slowed down enough that we felt comfortable getting onto an exit, which was a sense of relief until the exit was at a significantly steeper downgrade than we thought. And now we were accelerating into cross traffic. So the shoulder off of this exit is, is also a hill. It's a, it's a significantly steeper hill, but this one is grassy and it would go into some trees and we could hit some trees and stop. But there was still a piece of my head thinking like, this is my first car. Like I'm trying to salvage this thing. <laughs> And, and I'm not going to do any more damage than I need to do. So I decide that instead of driving down a hill and running into a tree, and instead of driving into uh, cross traffic, I would try Patty's advice. So I very carefully put the car in neutral, pulled the key out, and we glided to a definite stop. But I couldn't even take a breath before my body started shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> my legs and my arms were shaking <laughs> so wildly as I stepped out of the car that I momentarily thought I was going to collapse on the side of the road. And Patty had pulled herself out on the other side of the road. With one hand, she's holding herself up against the hood of the car, and the other hand is holding on to her e-cigarette, which she's hyperventilating on like a paper bag. <laughs> We were alive, which was kind of amazing at that moment. So we never did find out where that tire came from. The postmortem on the car, sh or on the car showed that the tire hit the brake fluid reservoir on my car, disabling my brakes. And police drove up and down that strip of highway, but never actually could find it. And we have no idea where that came from. But we are alive today. 
still though, there's a, there's a piece of me in the back of my head that wonders if Patty and I were supposed to die that day. If what we got away with was escaping death and it's hiding around some corner waiting for us with some new tragic accident. Uh, no, right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we're alive, we're happily alive, and we are also forever bonded, not only from our time at camp, but from that time where we almost died. Thanks, Maddie. Maddie Weisberg is an adventure seeker who loves the security of a familiar routine. Born and raised in the flat suburbs of Detroit, she became enamored with the mountains during a love affair with Western North Carolina. She landed in Helena, wary but eager to settle down. Now equipped with a dog, a state job, and reduced tolerance for traffic, Helena is home. Thanks for listening to the Tell Us Something podcast. If you enjoy the stories you hear, please recommend the Tell Us Something podcast to one person who has never heard it before. You can subscribe to Tell Us Something wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. We have two more stories in this episode. Before I get to them, I want to take a moment to thank our title sponsors. CabinetParts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Anyone searching for the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price needs to go to CabinetParts.com. CabinetParts.com combines knowledgeable hardware specialists with the best online shopping experience nationwide. CabinetParts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. The Good Food Store. Supporting Western Montana farmers and ranchers for almost 50 years, the Good Food Store supports the local folks creating their own beer, salsa, baked goods, ice cream, and more. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Logjam Presents. Headquartered in Missoula, Montana, Logjam Presents is an independent and privately owned live entertainment company. Logjam Presents is the exclusive operator and promoter of the Kettle House Amphitheater, the Wilma, the Top Hat Lounge, and Ogren Park. And coming in the fall of 2019, the Elm in Bozeman, Montana. Logjam Presents has created a unique artist and concertgoer experience that is unmatched in the Northwest. Learn more at logjampresents.com. A few news items before we get back to the stories. We are excited to announce our new storytelling workshops. Let Tell Us Something help you craft your own story one-on-one. We also offer group workshops with corporate and nonprofit pricing. To schedule a workshop and learn more, go to tellussomething.org slash workshops. We are currently taking story pitches for the fall quarter of Tell Us Something live event in Missoula. The theme is Leap of Faith. To pitch your Leap of Faith story, call 406-203-4683. Our next live storytelling event is in Missoula at the Wilma on September 24th. Get tickets for that at logjampresents.com. The theme, Leap of Faith. All right, let's get back to the storytelling. Our next story is from Melissa Quayle, who shares her tale of poor decision-making in Europe. She calls her story, Stone Chip in the Windscreen and Other Misadventures in Ireland. That's a grand amount of luggage you got there, lady. These words are spoken in like this awesome Irish accent that lets me know I have in fact landed in Dublin, not somewhere else. And it's kind of processing, but not really. And I'm looking at this guy and thinking like, all right, whatever, my luggage. 
uh, just get me the car so we can get on the road. And I'm also looking at the people that were with me and I'm like, yeah, there are four adults, but again, it's not processing. I'm like, four adults fit in a car, don't they? It's my aunt, my uncle, and what was my boyfriend at the time. And it's, it's just, it's not computing. And then it finally kind of hits. He's like, no, 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 you're going to need a bigger car. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's at that moment that I look over and I realize that this is a grand fucking amount of luggage. Like, we can carry dead bodies in this. These are four roller bags. Each one is this high and they're this wide. And no matter how much we have planned for this trip and weighed these things, no one has thought about the fact that these have to fit in a human vehicle. So it is like insane, insane. And for me, this is really important because part of my, like, what I'm taking care of on the trip is like, I'm going to do the car, the insurance, the gas. We're all splitting it up. And this idea that it's going to be like, oh, you might need a bigger car. I'm like, bigger car means bigger money. I'm not sure. But the guy, like, obviously, I think he can kind of see my consternation or maybe just that I've been flying all night. And he's like, but, you know, we can do something about this. Like, well, we can charge you the same price, but the insurance is different because here, the bigger the car, the bigger the insurance. And, you know, the uh, something, something, something goes on. And, you know, the windshields and something, something, something goes on more. And they're more expensive and something, something, something. So really, the car is going to cost you the same amount. It's just up to the insurance. I'm like, sweet, let's sign this shit and get out of here. Which is what I do. And off we go on the road. Um, you know, we get the grand amount of luggage in what I should say is a grand car because this is a full on like minivan and that means nothing here, but it will there. I'm like, all right, got this head down the motorway. We go into Dublin. No problem. Take off into the Irish countryside the next day. And this is when I realize I have a grand amount of luggage with a grand amount of people in a grand freaking car because this thing is like like driving a Mack truck down a country lane. It's like every place we go, and oh, by the way, I'm on the wrong side of the car and the wrong side of the road. So it's like, instead of squeezing this way, I'm like, depending upon what's coming at me and those beautiful Irish like rock walls that you see everywhere are blissfully and thankfully covered in ivy so that you know you're gonna get past them. Anyway, we go through all that. We come around the corner, and I hear this ping. I'm looking. I look over at my uncle. I look back at my aunt. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> we immediately find somewhere to pull over, which is, like, you know, not next to a rock wall. Everybody exits the vehicle. We're doing, like, a full-on search. What we discover is there is a rock chip in the window. No problem, right? We all got this. This happens all the time. Like, okay, it's gonna be fine. Thinking I could call somebody, but probably I should like call the rental car company, you know, be legit about it. Tell them, hey, this is what happened. And more importantly, maybe they have like a deal with someone. Because 
I probably forgot to mention, when I went on this trip, I was living in San Francisco, so I could barely live there, let alone travel. So, like, every penny I have in my pocket is super, super, like, precious to me. So we go to the hotel, call the rental car company. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so. I've rented, you know, your giantest vehicle because I had all the luggage. And they go, oh, yes, ma'am, we know exactly who you are. Let, let's find your thing here. And I'm like, so I got a rock chip in the window. And it's just quiet. It's like, what? I'm like, I got a rock chip in the window. It's like, are you okay? Are your passengers okay? Now I'm like, holy shit, like, is he crazy or am I? And I'm like, no, 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 everyone's fine. It's like, do you need another vehicle? Like, no, I have a rock chip in the window and I wanna know like if you have a company with which I can get this fixed. It's like, "Uh, well, how big is the rock? And I'm thinking, seriously, how long are we gonna do this shit? But whatever, okay. Like, I'm like, it's really, really small. It's like the size of a pea. He's like, well, what is it? What? I'm like, wait, I'm going to go get this rock from the side of the road and put it on a scale? What? Ah! And I'm like, again, size of a pea. And I just hear this like, <laughs> it's like, oh, you got a stone chip in your windscreen, do you, Lottie? <laughs> and I'm like, whatever the fuck it is, that's what I got. Like, help me out here, man. And he's like, all right, here's the number. Take it down. He's like, call this guy. So I'm like, I don't want anyone to breathe on this stone chip in the windscreen because, as I told you earlier, I have thought about the fact that there was something, 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 window really, really expensive, something, 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 pay for the less deductible. I immediately call this guy. I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to be driving the biggest car you could ever find with the biggest luggage you could ever find. Where do we meet you? And in my mind, he says back to me, like, I'll meet you at the Texaco at 1030. Great. Hang it up. I'm like, nobody breathe on the car. We're good. We get up in the morning. We're going to be early for this shit. We're getting that done. And I'm driving up and down this same road. It is not a big town. And I'm like, There's no fucking Texaco here. Like, Texaco? We're in Ireland. What? I'm like back on the phone with him. Like, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. It's a Texaco. So we meet at the Texaco. It's good. It's like a Costco. Guy gets out. We all get out because we've only now been driving around for, I don't know, like probably an hour and a half looking for the Texaco that ain't going to be on this island. And, you know, guys, like, gets his little kid out, just like you see here. Put the suction cup on. I'm like, we're going to be good. And we're chatting with him. And my uncle, he's like a super chatty guy. And he's just kind of chatting him up. And I'm talking to the guy because obviously, like, I thought we were going to meet at Texaco. And we didn't. We're talking about sort of the miscommunication and the stone chip and the windscreen and all that. And out of nowhere, my boyfriend, John, looks at this guy and he's like, so what sort of noises do your animals make? (laughs) And I'm thinking, holy shit, now we have a problem. Because 
even if I get away with the stone chip, this is gonna cost money. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? And he's like, well, you know, like in America, cats say meow. But like in your country, is it like mew? And this guy, without missing a beat, looks at him and he's like, for fuck's sake, man, you're 2,000 miles away. You're not in a motherfucking different country. I'm like, oh man, we have not negotiated the, re the repair price of this windshield at all. But the guy who's like, he's pretty cool about it. My uncle and I are pretty much on the ground, like almost rolling and laughing. I'm like crying. It's not gonna go well for the relationship. That's probably why it was the next. But I guess, you know, turns in the bill, it's like 65 euros, which is about a hundred bucks, which is a lot to, you know, pay for your windshield repair, but whatever, man. It's like, this is gonna be good. The rest of the trip uh, to the next place was pretty silent. Maybe there was some tension in the room, I don't know. But we pull up by the next hotel and I park, and again, wrong side of the car, wrong side of the road, so I'm like on the inward side, here's the sidewalk. Go in, check us all into the hotel. Come back out, my uncle and I, we're gonna get into the grand vehicle because we have to unload the grand luggage, which we have now trekked across Ireland, which is not that big. And all this, seriously, if you guys go, you need like a raincoat and a sweatshirt, that's about it. You don't need your warm weather and your small weather and your whatever weather clothes. But anyway, I get in the, this van and I'm like looking out the side mirror getting ready to blinker and exit into traffic. And this mirror is destroyed. Like it's shattered, the whole side mirror, the, it's cracked. Like this is a piece of like bad mess. So my uncle and I are out there, we're picking up little glass pieces. And we're like, well, maybe we can get this stuff to fit back together. We're gonna work this up later. It's gonna be a plan. There's probably gonna be nail polish involved. But regardless, at this point in my mind, I'm like, no, I am not calling this rental car company and telling them about this mirror. Like, I have already lost a day and a half over Texaco and my inability to describe a rock, so like, no. <laughs> we carry out the rest of the trip, get back to the rental car agency, I turn in my stuff. Apparently it's like noted in my file that I am the lady with the stone chip in the windscreen. And three people like converge on this minivan to inspect what seriously, if you did not ever know it was there, you would never know it was there. But again, I'm going back with the like super, super something expensive windshield. So I had to get it done. We check out, I get the like release of waiver. Everyone signs off. It's great. We board the aircraft, head on with the rest of our trip. Nobody ever realized that the mirror was way bigger problem. Thanks, Melissa. Melissa is a native Montanan who returned home about five years ago after living in Seattle, Washington, D.C., and San Francisco. Melissa is an avid traveler and seeker of adventure. Our final story comes to us from Virginia Reeves. Virginia explores the difference between criminals and non-criminals in a wild ride from Montana to Ohio and back. She calls her story Toast. 
that, that intro was a little preview of the story you're going to hear. A story that starts in the beautiful blue-collar town of Lima, Ohio. If you haven't been there, good. No reason to go. I was in Lima, Ohio, in the trailer home of my boyfriend at the time, Travis. Note, Travis is part of this story. And this trailer belonged to his evangelical Christian parents. And I was there when I actually should have been at my sophomore year of college. I had made the brilliant decision to drop out of college to move to the utopia that is Lima, Ohio, <laughs> with my juvenile delinquent boyfriend, who I met in Dillon, Montana, obviously. <laughs> when I met him in Dillon, Montana, I did not know he was a juvenile delinquent. I knew that he was incredibly attractive. Sorry, honey. I wish that didn't matter, but it did a lot, and he was, he was, he was attractive. He also was an artist. These, these things are true that I'm telling you. He was handsome. He was an artist. He was a musician. He could play guitar and, and sing a little bit. Very sexy. And I, I was 18 and wooed. I was, I was in love. And he also was a first-year architecture student, or so he said. And after he burned all of the bridges he could possibly burn in Dillon, Montana, he said, let's head east. And I said, that sounds amazing. Let's go. And the, the, the paradise he promised was a little different in reality when we got there. And I, I found myself in his parents' trailer in a bedroom across the hall because it would be a sin to share a room. And I didn't leave. I was like, all right, all right, well, we'll work on this. Let's see. Let's, let's see what we can do here. I mean, a mistake on Travis's part, there were a few, but one of his big mistakes was taking me home where, where his family lived and people knew him and he had grown up where they could all say, oh, architecture school Virginia. He didn't, he, I mean, he, he went to juvie. I, I mean, is that what he meant? Did he mean, he, did he mean juvie? Because he didn't graduate from high school. And I was like, oh, no. Huh. And then also, his, his reasoning for being in Montana in Dillon was to, you know, have this, this adventure on the ranch where we both happen to randomly know the same family for different connections. And so he just was, you know, he came to Montana that summer just to experience the open country and to do a cattle drive, which of course is what we're all doing here. And he, it turns out, was in Montana actually he, because he was a little wrapped up in drug and arms dealing and wasn't in trouble with the law at that particular point, but was in trouble with his drug and the, his higher ups in, in his business that he had, he had maybe stolen from, I believe. And so it was probably foolish of him to go back at all. He made amends with his employers and went back to work. And, and I was still like, cool. Seems like an adventure. 
little different than cattle driving, but I'm in. So I, I, I wanted to, I mean, certain things I couldn't overlook, of course, like living in his parents' trailer. And so I, he wasn't really bringing any, any money either, which made me question the criminal life because I felt like, what's it for if you're not going to bring in some money? But I, I, took, I got some employment because I really, really wanted to move out of the trailer. And so I got the only jobs that I could get at the time, and I got a job delivering newspapers and working at Perkins. And I mean, Perkins is no golden trough, gilded trough. It's maybe a little worse. And in Lima, Ohio, there's a server minimum wage. And at this time, it was 1997, I was paid $2.15 an hour. And I did not make great tips. And I also woke up every morning at 3 a.m. to go deliver papers. And another piece of information that Travis didn't tell me about our, his beautiful hometown was that it was rated number one small town in the country with the most crime. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, he should have told me I would have been even more sold at the beginning. So I, I make enough money to move into a, a real shithole with him, my love. And... You know, there's definitely moments where I'm like, maybe this was a bad choice. But there were always also moments that were really fun. And it seems hard to believe. But there were. There were some really great moments. And Travis, for all of his great, great flaws, was, he, he was fun at times. And I would, I would make these, I would get to these decisions, you know, like, all right, I'm going to leave you. And he would say, don't, don't leave me. And, and then he'd like draw my picture and make me toast. And I'd be like, oh, all right, I'm not going to go. You got me. I'm, I'll stay and wake up at three in the morning again. So that, that happened many times, that sequence. And he would go off to work, which meant... I mean, I think it just meant like smoking pot at someone's house. And there was mention at one point that someone had discovered this thing called the online yellow pages. And he was working on that and they were going to make a lot of money. And I'm sure they were the only ones who had that idea. So that was happening in this, one, in this house that I wasn't aware of or really didn't spend much time at. And, but, it, but it was also, there was mystique to it and it was, seemed like it was much more fun than my days delivering newspapers and um, working at Perkins. And so, again, back and forth, lots. I'm leaving you. Stay. Here's some toast. Okay. And we reach another point where I am I'm done. I'm really going this time. And I think he maybe realized that there was only so much toast he could make me and paintings he could draw. And... He, he was like, okay. And I think we even came up with a plan. There was this middle ground of, we're going we're gonna to meet up in Boulder, Colorado, because of, of course that's where we'd go. But I'm going to go home, and you're going to get your shit together. But we'll have one great grand hurrah before we leave. And I don't know if it was the fact that I was living with a criminal, or it was just a brilliant idea that came to me. But for this last hurrah, I said, I know how we can get some money for this. And here's the plan. We're gonna go to my bank and we're gonna say, my wallet was stolen with my checkbook and my ID and I'm moving away. So I need to close my account and cash it in. 
so give me my money. And also put a note on there that some jerk stole my goddamn wallet. <laughs> and they did it. So we go to the bank, and they cl I close my account, and I get the cash. And we take my stolen wallet to Columbus, Ohio, where we go on a shopping spree. And we buy <laughs> booze and food and clothes and a tattoo for my back, which I paid for with cash. You don't rip off tattoo artists. <sighs> Writing checks I stole from myself. <sighs> Our adventure eventually takes us to the mall and American Eagle Outfitters, obviously, <laughs> where we, we get a lot of clothes. We were maybe gluttonous at this point. And the total was roughly $400. And American Eagle was a little ahead of the times, and they took this check and looked me in the eye, looked at my ID, and then went and made a phone call. And Travis went, we gotta go, we gotta, we gotta go. And so we did, we just, we were like, closed, closed, we leave them, and we get into the car, and we exit the mall parking lot, and was there a police officer pulling in at the exact same time? Yes, coincidence, I think so. And we hightail it back to Lima. So note, felony check fraud committed. And I go home, and Travis once again makes me like the best piece of toast I've ever had, and is like, you should stay. And I'm like, I should. It was so fun to commit check fraud with you. And we go to sleep. And the next morning, his good friend Wade comes into our apartment and jumps onto the bed and pulls out this bag of pot that's, I've never seen that much pot. And is on me and says, wake and bake, girl. And it was in that moment, and we have these moments where we say, is this my life? And maybe it was the check fraud. Maybe it was Wade. But when they were like, you want to go hunting with us? Which again, I did, I asked no questions. I don't know what that meant for them. I, I said, boys, that sounds like a lot of fun, but you go ahead. And I left a note on the stairs and my keys, and I drove west. But I did get away with check fraud. Thank you. Thanks, Virginia. Virginia Reeves teaches writing, communications, and literature at Helena College, where she also founded the Necessary Narratives Program, a service that helps students identify, craft, and record their own personal stories. Learn about her project at NecessaryNarratives.org. Virginia's first novel, Work Like Any Other, was longlisted for the 2016 Man Booker Prize, and her second novel, The Behavior of Love, was released in early May 2019. She's listened to many stories about criminal records and has realized that the line we draw between criminals and non-criminals is more about timing and luck than actual individuals. Learn more about Virginia and her work at virginia-reeves.com. Thank you to everyone who attends the live events, those of you who download the podcasts, and most especially the storytellers, Aaron Parrott, Maddie Weisberg, Melissa Quayle, and Virginia Reeves. Remember that our next live storytelling event is in Missoula at the Wilma on September 24th. Get tickets for that at logjampresents.com. The theme, Leap of Faith. Tell Us Something is proud to be fiscally sponsored by Missoula Community Foundation, a 501c3 organization. 
Missoula Community Foundation has been providing leadership to Missoula nonprofits and inspiring long-term philanthropy in Missoula since 2007. MissoulaCommunityFoundation.org. Thanks to our sponsors. Drum Lumen Institute, who works to promote and publish art and literature created in Montana and the broader American West, though their mission goes well beyond that. To learn more about the Drum Lumen Institute, visit drumlumeninstitute.org. Missoula Federal Credit Union. Don't just bank, belong. MissoulaFCU.org. Missoula Bone and Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to our patients for over 60 years. MissoulaBoneAndJoint.com. Axis Physical Therapy, who has an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at AxisMissoula.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company, locally owned and operating four stations, including the Trail 103.3, Missoula's Quality Rock, and part of our unique Western Montana community. Featuring local DJs who love Missoula and know their music. Jack FM 105.9, playing what they want. U 104.5 FM, your at-work listening station, and ESPN 102.9, focusing on city, state, and regional sports, giving exposure and insight to teams and athletes in and around Western Montana. Learn more at MissoulaBroadcasting.com. Enlightened Lab Float Center. Enlightened Lab is a spa featuring sensory deprivation or floating as a wellness therapy. Unplug, reset, and recharge in their state-of-the-art float tanks or sweat it out in their infrared sauna. Learn more at EnlightenLab.com. That's E-N-L-Y-T-E-N-L-A-B.com. Gecko Designs. Visit the Gecko Designs team on North Higgins and Missoula or online at GeckoDesigns.com. Buildy Design. Montana stickers, mugs, and apparel with a twist. Etsy.com slash shop slash Design. Thanks to Cash for Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashforjunkersmusic.com. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Thanks for listening. Remember, your story matters. Learn more about Telesomething at telesomething.org.